0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, broadcasting live from Harlem, New York City. This is Guys Guys Radio, podcast number 309. We've got a great show for you this evening. Our special guest is Peter Bedard. He's got a book called Convergence Healing, Healing Pain with Energetic Love. Very interesting guy, interesting book, a book that can help people because so many people have pain, and there's different types of pain. There's physical pain and emotional pain and spiritual pain, and we'll get into all of that. We bring Peter on in a few minutes. Um, let's talk about what's going on out there in Guys, Guys world. Well, Guys, Guys Radio is a place where where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins, but you know that. It all started with my novel, The Guys, Guys Guide to Love, and from there, my blog at robertmanny.com. And then we started guys, guys radio. So we put out a positive message, but a real message, not sanctimonious and sugar coated. We talk about guys, how they are. We talk about issues that relate to men and women, and we try to help. And I try to get guests on here who entertain as well as teach and uh, have a good message. Because I think part of our journey, particularly as men, is we have to be open to more and more things. I'm a boomer and I have a lot of friends and a lot of the guys, you know, guys don't really share too much with each other. But I know just from listening and learning how to listen over the years, a lot of men today, they're seeking more they're seeking beyond the job and the paycheck and particularly the boomer guys. Cause they know, they know that's going to end. And they're like, kind of like, oop, what's next. And I think, and is that all there is? And I think they're looking for more and there's so much more to our world and to life. I did the corporate thing for many years. I might be going back into it, uh, but I've had a nice break to build this brand and this movement and put this message out there and I'm really enjoying it. And I th- I think it's been the greatest time in my life going through a lot of things. And I had my own bouts with chronic pain. Um, I had two robotic surgeries in 2014, and I needed to use it for healing. Every tool I had available and everything I could learn about. And I had to, to me, one of the keys for healing was to acknowledge what, what I had growing inside me and accept it and love it. And then ask it to leave. So Peter Bedard's going to come on here in a little bit and we're going to talk about his book and how he dealt with his uh, crisis, if you will. He basically got into an accident by getting uh, tail ended when I think he was on a motorcycle and uh, he died. And uh, when it was uh, time to go to the pearly gates, so to speak, they said, it's not your time. Go back. Uh, So we'll talk to him about that and then his journey to learning about pain and learning how to deal with it and learning how to conquer it and how he developed convergence healing. What else is happening? Okay. This is Tuesday in New York city. We've had uh, Monday and Tuesday have been kind of holidays. If, if you're, if you have kids in school or if you work for the DOE, my wife works for the DOE and I have a five-year-old who just started kindergarten and they began last week. They had kind of a short week and now already they had two days off this week for uh Rosh Hashanah. So to all my Jewish friends out there, and there's a a lot of them, Shana Tova. I hope you had a good New Year's, and um, I guess everybody's back at work tomorrow. Additionally, here in New York City, it's always a somber day when it's September 11th. This is 17 years now. We're going on uh, an anniversary since that tragic happening. And I have friends who were in it um, who got out, and thankfully, and I remember being in New York City on that day. And I'm wondering if our listeners, where were you? Think about it. I think everybody remembers where they were and how they found out about the attack on the world trade center. I used to love the world trade center. There were so like two big blocks there. They were boring buildings, but they were sturdy and I kind of liked them. And uh, I was really pissed off when they got taken down because to me, the whole thing was senseless. There's so much mystery also surrounding it. What actually happened? The craziness that followed. It's just like, you know, those buildings went straight down, very odd. Um, how did those jets get through security, both of them? When one hit, we didn't have fighter planes that can get there for the second one, but just so much weird stuff. And then really when you, when you, you break it all down, it was kind of the Saudi-based attack, and yet we end up invading, and we had so much goodwill after 9-11. I remember driving around and people were like... Uh, being very polite on the roadway. Uh, Everybody had flags on their cars. People all around the world were empathizing with America. So what did we do? We invaded Iraq. And that turned out, uh, as everybody knows now, to be a bad idea because they didn't have anything to do with it. Saddam Hussein, you know, he was a jerk, of course, and he repressed his people. But, he wasn't related to 9-11. Not, I'm not, that's, not, that's not a conspiracy. That's fact. And we know that now. And it was all about weapons of mass destruction. We went through that. And there was so much money spent in the Iraq war. And what did we really get out of that? There's so much turmoil still in the Middle East with Syria. And it's just a mess there. And and it really uh, bankrupt our country. We, you know, When Clinton was president, he left with a surplus. And when W left... Uh, we were just on the brink and uh, I think Obama did a good job resetting the economy and Trump with his maneuvers, you can't argue with the fact that, you know, the economy is pushing forward. We'll see what happens, uh, you know, with those tax breaks and how it affects things because our deficits going to start skyrocketing soon, but the GMP is uh, in the fours. It's, it's been pretty good. So we'll keep all the other discussion of uh, Trump and everything to the side, but you know, I think Obama was the right man for the job with the economy at that time. And he really got everything pointed in the right direction. And Trump made some big moves. And uh, it's kept things going. And, you know, they both take credit for it. But whatever, we are in a long term uh, growth spurt now, and we'll see what happens. And hopefully, the economy will economy is being managed a little more carefully. I know they're starting to loosen up the loaning process a little bit, loaning regulations. Um, that's kind of a good thing and kind of not a good thing. I know when I, I just went through refinancing and it was brutal. Uh, I had to like show uh, bank statements for my five-year-old, uh, literally, uh, true. So, uh, you know, there's one thing about regulations There's another thing about being a little bit too stringent. So uh, there is a happy medium. So we're learning and we're learning and we're growing and, uh, hopefully, uh, you know this divisiveness in our country can can uh can come to an end at some point where people realize listen we're all americans hopefully on a day like nine eleven, people realize like hey you know what we're americans and we got attacked and and we're not going to let that happen again so we'll see what happens um so god bless everybody who was involved in that i have a good friend he was actually working in world trade center number one he got out he told me uh that he saw some bad behavior on the way out and that he was told on the way down leading people going downstairs that they were being told by some officials, who I will say are nameless, what department were saying, go back up. And that would have been a really bad idea. So thank God he and a lot of other people got out on that day. And, uh, and let's, let's hope that this doesn't happen again. So let's move on. The hurricane, Hurricane Florence, heading towards North Carolina, South Carolina. It's supposed to hit land Thursday or Friday, Bless those people who are down there because it's going to—it's speeding up and it's going to be maybe a Category 4. So that that's a little bit uh, – that's like Sandy was a few years ago when it hit uh, New Jersey and uh, the Jersey Shore. And I have a place down there, and we got whacked. But uh, fortunately, uh, my place is on kind of high ground, and I'm on the third floor, so I didn't have too much damage but, uh, it's a bad, this is hurricane season and it's just starting up. So fingers crossed that we get through this. Um, what else is happening? Uh, I went down to shore this weekend. I took my son and it was all rain the whole time. So we were going to come back and, you know, we take New Jersey transit back and forth and with that system, uh, You know, in the tunnel, a a big spike came down, a big pole came down and went through one of the New Jersey Jersey transit trains. Fortunately, I didn't go back on that day. We decided on Sunday, like, let's go back because it's really, it's just raining down there. There's not a lot to do where, where my place is. And uh, so fortunately we missed, I I went on the the app, the New York post app. And I read that, wow, there's been a big problem with Jersey transit and, you know, it's hit hit and miss. It's tough. There's only one tunnel. Uh, going between New York and New Jersey. And if there's a problem, everything's affected. I mean, that, that to me, one of the crimes of the century has been that there was work done and money invested to build another tube under the Hudson. And Chris Christie, who was governor of New Jersey at the time, stopped work on it. And that to me really has a negative effect because those tubes were built like 50 60 years ago the population is much higher now there's such a need such a drastic need for uh, another tube under the hudson and to stop that it's absurd now supposedly it's going to get back going again i know there was some back and forth between new york new jersey the port authority and trump on that and he was kind of holding holding back on the money and saying you guys have to pay more i'm not sure what's going on with that but it's certainly needed it's, it's a real critical need. So let's hope things get moved along there. And what else? Well, we're in September now. We had the first football weekend. And uh, the New York Jets, the sad sacks of professional football, I know, because I have season tickets and I've been going to Jet games forever. And I go to less and less games now. But they came through. They finally made a really good, good, good draft pick. This kid, Sam Darnold, he's the youngest quarterback in pro football. He started yesterday. He was poised. He was confident. And he was accurate. And the Jets blew the Detroit Lions out of the game I think it was like 48 to 17, something like that. It was just a disaster for them. And uh, it's a really good thing. Now you have the New York giants. They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars and they have uh, this Shaquan Barkley, fantastic running back. He was the number two pick in the draft right ahead of the jets. And they have a quarterback who's like 36, 37 years old, Eli uh, Manning. You know, you think about this. I think that was a bad move to take Barkley. Uh, it's a win now move and he's a great player. However, he lies on his last legs. Uh, he overthrew uh, OJ uh, Odell Beckham for what would have been a winning score. Um, he's not that mobile. And you think six years from now, five years from now, Shaquan Barkley will be, you know, on his probably is the last legs of his running career. If he even lasts that long, because the average life span of a running back in the NFL is about three years. And, Darnold at that time, he'll only be 27 years old. He will be just stepping into his prime and he'll have six years under his belt. So I think the Jets made a real they were really lucky. The Browns took Baker Mayfield. Uh, the Giants took Saquon Barkley. And the Jets got, the I think, the jewel of the draft, Darnold, who was a much more finished product and much more NFL pro-oriented type of uh, QB. And Darnold, even versus Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, I thought the Jets would get him, and he'd be exciting watching him run around, eluding tacklers. But the Jets, the things fell into place for them, and they looked real good. So congratulations to them and to their fans. We're going to take a super short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to bring, we're going to talk about pain and healing and stuff like that. So let's get on with Guys Guys Radio, and we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Guys. Guy radio. All right, let's talk about our special guest, um, Peter Bedard. He, uh, he's got an MA in Consciousness Studies and extensive training in hypnotherapy and alternative health. He's helped thousands of people overcome pain and the fearful shadow it has cast over their lives, and he has a thriving one-on-one private practice, and he gives talks and workshops around the world. He lives in L.A., He wrote this book called um, Convergence Healing, Healing Pain with Energetic Love. He wrote it with a guy, a buddy of his, I guess, a screenwriter, Brian Sheffield Hunt, and they did a great job on the book, and that's out now. Simon & Schuster is the publisher, and he has a 10-point process that explains non-invasive life-altering practices to help you permanently heal your body, mind, and spirit. It's interesting because... As I was reading the book, so much came back to me because uh, I didn't die or anything, but I had a a chronic pain situation, as well as I am an advanced clinical, a certified advanced clinical master hypnotist. I don't practice a lot, but I know how to do it. I've done parts therapy, past life regression, current life regression, all kinds of stuff, and uh, it works. And Peter discovered hypnosis, and he went on to build a very successful career, and now he's got a, a brand, if you will, for it and a process called Convergence Healing. So we're going to bring them on right now to Guys, Guys Radio. Good evening, Peter. Welcome to Guys, Guys Radio.
0: Hey, I'm glad to be here. I enjoyed your commentary at the beginning. <laughs> oh, well, thank you.
1: Thank you very I much. I'm like
0: a uh, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed the book and um, I got a lot of questions. Usually I write down like about a dozen issues I want to talk about. But for your thing, I wrote down about 23 different things. So let's get right at it. Um, Nice. Started, you know, it's interesting that to me, the most provocative part of the book where you kind of bounce around in the book going back and forth in terms of the process and some things that happened to you. But maybe we should start with the, the kind of tipping point in your journey, which was you had a you had an accident. Uh, and then you passed, and then you were told it's not time. So can you give us a quick rundown on what exactly happened?
0: Sure. That was sort of the kickoff. So uh, when I was a kid, I was 17, close to 18, and I was, my, my, I was very excited about this because my grandfather played banjo in uh, just occasionally on some vaudeville circuit type of things. And uh, there was a theater in my hometown that actually had vaudeville. And, you know, it had the Red Hot Mama and the Boo Hiss Villain and that type of stuff. And you drink beer and throw popcorn. And I loved it. And I actually got into a show. And I was in a show. And I just felt like, like I, was, uh, I was doing something cool that my grandfather did. And I was, uh, like I said, I was almost 18. And I was getting ready to go to the cast party after the show. And my parents said, no, I had to come home. And so being the good son, I came home. But I was pissed. I was very, very, very angry. And I was riding my moto bikini, which is sort of a cross between a motorcycle and a bike. It's a motorized bike in a way. It's a European English style. And I was driving that home and angry. And a car came up behind me as I was going into a curve. And there was a semi-truck parked in the curve up in front of me. And that car pushed my back tire and pushed me into the parked semi-truck. And I jumped out of my body before impacting. So I actually got to watch the whole thing, which was very, very interesting to sort of have that detached quality of watching my body hit the truck and bouncing out in the street and the car drive away. And that anger that I felt was gone. In that moment of of jumping out of my body and and dying, there was no more anger. There was more of a sense of curiosity, kind of like a, oh, that's interesting kind Mm -hmm. of experience. And I watched the whole thing. I went to the other side, which is a little longer story. Uh, On the other side, I, I was told I had to come back, and I was pissed. And when I got rejected, what I thought was rejection, all that anger came back. But on the other side, there was absolute bliss and joy, and there's not enough adjectives to actually truly identify that feeling of absolute wholeness and being home. On Mm -hmm. that other side. So I I, jokingly say this, but I highly recommend that. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it seems like when people have these uh, near-death experiences and they come back Everybody has a, a, a different, ex- there's some differences in their experience And I'm sure you've talked to people and studied people who've had near-death experiences and There's some similarities and some differences And I guess it's all on your perspective and your expectations When you went to the other side and you went through, I guess you went through uh, From the uh, what I call in the book, you kind of went through that, you know, the tunnel of light and all of that what type of environment was it uh when you got through that were there houses were was it was what was it a place that sure. was like a 3d place was it like a 4d 5d i mean how did you did you feel you were in your body were you just uh, uh, consciousness uh, what was it what was it like were you um uh anxious did you have uh you know were you you know what was your feelings and everything at all of that
0: sure so For me, uh, there are a lot of commonalities. A lot of people, there's more and more of a tunnel type of experience that's happening for people. And, uh, you know, that's chalked up as, well, more people are talking about it, so more people are going to have that experience. But, uh, you know, I don't know what the truth is in that, but I went down the tunnel. On the other side, there was just this place. It was this energetic place that felt like home. It was vast and wide and deep, and there were no walls, but there was a sense of of space. There was a sense of not closure, but belonging and, and definition. And I, I've been curious about that because the feeling was there, but there really was no thing. There was just energy, and there was like this pure light, and the light had shades of color in it more color than I think we can We can see in this physical world. You know, there's different, different animal species that have the ability to actually see more color than what we and our brains mm-hmm. can comprehend. And on that other side, it was like those colors that, that I can't see now were there. It was so vivid and so alive. It was like the air breathed over there. And there was this feeling of being part of everything else. And I had a body... But my body looked the same, but it was all energy. There wasn't anything physical about the body. And I was very curious because when I was on the other side, I nobody was there at first. And I was I was thinking, well, where is everybody? I thought when you <laughs> died, there was supposed to be your dead mom, and your great-grandmother. You know, yeah, exactly. And I was curious. I wasn't upset, but I was definitely curious about... Where is everybody? Why, why am I not being greeted? Where's the welcome wagon? And eventually, in this blissed out state, I saw somebody. This person appeared. And the way I like to describe it in my pop culture way is you know, it's like Obi Wan Kenobi, you know, being mm-hmm. projected outside of R2 D2, is that, you know, or Princess Leia when R2 D2 is projected, and it's this holographic kind of energy where you could see the clothing and you could define that this person as a shape and an age and, and the, you know, the clothing is a texture and a fabric, but it was all, all holographic. And this man, where it was a very strange experience, it felt like when I, when I noticed this person, it was as if he was waiting for me to see him. And I finally was able to see him. And when I made contact with him, it was like my heart was being ripped out of my chest. There was just this exploding, painful love that was happening. And my Mm -hmm. consciousness was curious, as I said, and I was thinking, who the hell is this? And, And why am I feeling this? It's great, but why am I feeling this? I have no idea who this person even is, but wow. And and it was it was so there was this dichotomy of curiosity of one having an experience and then being aware of the experience and and I thought he viewed this, this this I don't know who he is is this, is this God is this a representation of God is it some a guide a spirit I don't know, who know. is this and and the, the funny thing was that that he was Asian <laughs> for me okay. he looked like a representation of Fu Manchu. And for Mm -hmm. those listening, I'm Caucasian. My background's French. So I'm looking for ancestors and this, you know, Lao Tzu type of guy shows up with a whiskey Mm -hmm. beard. And I remember even thinking this random thought of his suit looking like something from Hong Kong circa, you know, the British occupation, the 1880s, something like that. And he says to me, you're not supposed to be here. And Mm -hmm. And I was very taken aback by that. He said, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. And when he said that, all of my anger started to come back. That anger that was gone, that, was, that disappeared into bliss, that anger started to come back. And there were other things, but when that anger came back, that's when I was no longer in this place that I call heaven. I don't know what it was, but it was like I got kicked out of heaven. Most people decide to come back. Most people who've had near-death experiences, they Mm -hmm. kind of have a life review, and they look at their life, and they want to come back for their spouse or their children, or they want to come back to do something that they didn't get to do. For me, I, I actually believe in accidents now because this thing happened to me, this accident happened to me, And they weren't prepared on the other side. (laughs) If if there were no accidents at all, then they would have been waiting for me. and Like, hey, glad you're here. But they weren't ready for me, and I wasn't supposed to be there. And so that's where I think free will really comes in. So it wasn't my time. I felt like I got kicked out of heaven. But the actual reality was that I had stuff to still do. So I came back, not with mm -hmm. that awareness, Mm -hmm.
1: Now, you, uh, when you came back, you were all mangled up because you were really in bad shape from this crash. Um, yeah. how, how long did it feel like between the time you had the accident and you had your kind of outer body experience and then go to the other side and then come back? What did it feel like time-wise for you uh, and how long was well, I've it really? I tried to
0: track it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I tried to track it. Um, there is no police report and no accident report and no ambulance report. So I'm not sure how I got from where I was in the street to the hospital. I saw the EMTs show up, so somebody had to call the EMTs, but there's Mm -hmm. no record of them. And there's no police report about it. And I I don't know who called them to get them there, but the time that I was out of my body was very short. The time I was on the other side felt like, like hours. In actuality, what I tried to calculate is, like going back and seeing what the response time was in in that part of you know where I grew up and how long did it take for somebody to call 911 and the ambulance to arrive. And then to find me, it was late at night when I did this in a suburban sort of theater neighborhood. So there weren't any people around at the time that I was sick. So unless somebody was looking from their window or they just happened to drive by, I don't know. How much time lapsed between that Awareness okay. and that phone call But it was about 15 minutes uh, In general the ambulance time Was about 12 to 15 minutes on average At that time And when the EMTs came I'm sure I'd already been out For a few minutes uh, If not oh, like 20 I'm calculating that I was out of my body For about 45 minutes And I was on the other side For about 20 something
1: in that that's okay. just what
0: I've been able to try and figure out. So I was dead, in my understanding of that, for about 20-something minutes.
1: Now, uh, before we kind of move on, because I want to get into the book, um, but just this is an interesting area. And were, were you, prior to this, I know you were angry from what you've said, but were you a spiritual, a religious person, spiritual, agnostic, atheist, whatever, and did any of this change your view?
0: Uh, it, was, it was a huge change, but I hid this for a long time. So prior to this experience, My dad was Catholic. My mom was Episcopalian. Uh, We would go to the Episcopal Church for holidays and the Catholic Church weekly. I Mm -hmm. rebelled against that. I I never understood that. So I never really connected with that Christianity in that way. And I rebelled a lot at that time. I had to make a deal with my parents that if I received my – it's not communion – I don't forget what it's called when you do in your your eighteen, seventeen
1: confirmation. I that what it's
0: called? Confirmation. Um, that if I did conversation confirmation, they would leave me alone,
1: and <laughs> they wouldn't mm-hmm. push me into All the right. church. <laughs> uh,
0: and so we made this agreement. So I was a very spiritual kid. I always felt a very connected, and church always felt very disconnected for me. Mm-hmm. I felt connected to the universe, to God, when I was in nature. When I was outside, when I was hiking, when I was in the trees, when I was digging in the ground and getting my hands dirty, that's where I Got, felt God.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so you, uh, I just want to do this quickly because I, you know, you, I want to get a lot in in with you. Um, yeah. So you went. You're in the hospital. you really banged up, broken bones all over the place, just totally smashed. And uh, you went through a series of different uh treatments if you will so maybe just uh give us a little bit of highlights you know you started with the painkiller, the opioids and all of that and then you, you saw some other specialists and then you kind of went along and you ultimately landed on hypnosis tell us about the different steps along that path sure
0: so when my body was banged into the truck i shattered my left knee into little tiny bits and they flew in a whole bunch of surgeons from the nfl to actually fix my leg because the injury was from the back of the knee. And so the bones on either, you know, the top and bottom of the kneecap, the kneecap was in place, but all the other, everything else was in the little bits. And so they actually did a very uh, cutting edge surgery at the time, and they glued together a lot of my bones. There's a few pins, but they glued them together. And so the Western allopathic world was amazing for putting my knee back together. Now, I also mm-hmm. split my wrist. I lost all the nerves in my right hand. I had undiagnosed brain damage. I had uh, undiagnosed – I cracked five vertebraes. I That was, that was my cas- – the beginning of what I call my cascade of pain. And I ended up with fibromyalgia, and arthritis, and asthma, and bronchitis, and sciatica. I had severe anxiety and depression. I had chronic pain for decades. I had to learn how to walk again. I lost my purpose in the world. I was an athlete and a dancer. I understood how to be in the world in that way, and I Mm -hmm. couldn't do that anymore. So that was losing my voice. My white blood cells were attacking my red blood cells. My hemoglobin was splitting and becoming toxic and shutting down my organs. All this kind of stuff was happening, and that's over many years. I dehydrated several times severely. I was in the hospital close to death four times after that. And the doctors were able, like I said, to put my leg back together. But beyond that, all they kept trying to give me was more drugs, more painkillers, and more surgeries. And it was always with the statement, well, this might help. And I don't like might. I'm not that kind of gambler. Right. I don't mm-hmm. like might help. So I actually didn't do things, I, a lot of that. I just, I just had pain, severe, severe pain. Where At one point, I was working a job, and – I was visiting a friend in another city, and I was waiting for him to show up at the restaurant that we were meeting at. And I was just sitting in that sort of bar area waiting, and somebody came up to me and said, are you okay? And I looked at him kind of confused Like what, what, what are you talking about? I'm not sure why you're asking me this. And then he says to me, you're crying. I, I guess you didn't know that. I, I had tears streaming down my face because I, I was in so much pain, and I had mm-hmm. disconnected so much from my body. So eventually what I did is I stumbled into holistic therapies. I had many little miracles along the way that led me to my healing. And I discovered all kinds of stuff. I even started to film it. And I created a little YouTube show called Create Your Health. And Mm -hmm. I just started filming people about what they were doing and how they were bringing wellness into the world. So I did everything i could i did everything as crazy as i if somebody said hey i did this and it worked i said great i'll give it a shot and i rolled my eyes a lot (laughs) but i gave it i opened up to it and i gave it uh value and i started to slowly heal and in that healing i discovered all kinds of stuff from you know, rolfing type of massage and uh, iridology and, you know, chiropractic and acupuncture and all stuff that's kind of mainstream now, but this has been, you know, this was a journey over 30 years. And I also discovered that if I started working on myself on multiple layers, then my healing accelerated. Mm-hmm. So I say it, I give the example all the time. One of my football players come to me and he broke his leg. Well, there's that physical pain of the leg. So that's the body. Right. But there's that mental anguish in the head of where, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? How am I going to pay that you know, house? I just bought a $14 million house. Am I going to lose my contract? That type of stuff. And then there's that heart-based pain and that emotional, spiritual pain of that broken heart of that football player maybe never being able to play again, never being able to do what he loved again, which was like me, never being able to dance again and do this, that career and that way of being how I knew how to be in the world since a very young age, just like my football player, right? And so the wound happens on all those levels. And I started thinking, well, what if the healing happens on all those levels? Mm -hmm. And back in the day, there was something that they were coming up with, what they were calling a uh, a cocktail, like a drug cocktail for cancer and for HIV and stuff like that. And I thought, well, what would a holistic cocktail look like? Mm -hmm. And so I started looking for therapies that would be healing on that mind area, you know, to handle that anguish. There would be healing in the heart, passion that was lost, and the healing in the body as well. And I started combining that. And then I started going to the actual pain itself. Because so much of us treat the pain like that, uh, like that 17-year-old rebel. And mm-hmm. that rebel is, has messed up. And everybody's telling that rebel how to fix the problem. And nobody bothers to go to the rebel and say, hey, how do you want to fix it? And we walk around with this experience. There's a part of us that's in pain and we beat it up and we wag our fingers at it. We tell it how to fix itself. And we, our doctors do, our friends do our family members do. And we, you know, using our conscious brain or even yelling at it and saying, I'm angry at you. Why are you doing this? I'm embarrassed of you. I'm ashamed Mm -hmm. of you. Whether it's something like weight or a broken bone or a broken heart, we beat these parts of us up. And so I started to redefine that relationship and say, well, what would happen if I loved the part of me that was hurting? And so when I work with my cancer clients, I ask them to love their tumor. And that sounds a little crazy, but I know that when I feel loved, I could do anything. So Mm -hmm. what if instead of beating up that tumor or the addiction or the anxiety, instead of beating it up, what if we loved it? And what if we actually asked it to guide our healing? So instead of telling it how to fix itself, if we actually learn to just be quiet and listen and love that part and ask it to communicate with us. And so this turned into that process you mentioned that my book is titled "Convergent Healing. And it's really a process in learning to love the parts of you that are suffering, letting the parts guide you in the healing and letting that healing be physical, mental and spiritual.
1: Great answer. Um Tell us about, you now. you did hit a one high note um, throughout the process and building your convergence healing model, if you will, is with hypnosis. There's a lot about hypnosis and on there. As I had mentioned yeah. in the intro, you know, I am a hypnotist and I could totally relate to how you, how you deal with your clients and, uh. Uh, I guess you did help hypnosis uh, he had it done during your training on yourself because the students work on yeah. each other as well as the
0: yeah, you know yeah, the absolutely. teachers and
1: everything um, what What struck you so uh as so important and as kind of a breakthrough for you uh, about mm-hmm. hypnosis
0: Well, so what I first did is i I started to get a degree in a master 's degree in what's called consciousness studies, which was the study of everything from the different kinds of theologies. To different kinds of science, cosmology, quantum theory, that type of stuff. While I was doing that, I went to school as well, and I was in a, a year-plus training program for hypnosis work. And what those programs taught me is that the mind is everything, and you can't separate the mind from the body. So many people are trying to, you know, they're trying to heal themselves in the, by, by only working on the body level, or the doctors are telling them that it's all in their mind. And that's, that, yeah, it is all in the mind. It's in the mind-body, the body-mind as one thing. The mind can't be separated from the body, and the body cannot be separated from the mind. They are one and the same. And hypnosis treats the body and the mind as a single thing. So when you're working in hypnosis, you're working with the whole person, as you know. You're working with mm-hmm. the whole state of being, someone's full consciousness. And you're allowing them, to, and guiding them to start seeing themselves as healthy, we get hijacked by our fear and our pain and, and all of that type of stuff. Yes. We get hijacked and taken over by that stuff, and we spend all of our consciousness, all of our awareness, stuck in that thinking. I like to use you know I have I, I, a little biz, a few little businesses, and I love the 80 20 rule when you look at business and the basic idea is that 80% of your income is going to come from 20% of your sales or 20% of your customers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yep. what if we started applying that holistically? Because normally we're spending all of our life energy, our thoughts, everything, at least 80% of who we are. And we're focusing on what we don't want. And we're mm-hmm. focusing on our misery and we're just recreating that misery. And when you can switch that, and hypnosis is extremely powerful in helping people to do that. When you can switch that thinking and you can get people to visualize, imagine, think about what it's like to tell a new story, a new story instead of the pain story that they've been telling, but a new story, a story of, let's say, happy, joyous, and free. When you get people to connect with that new story, then using hypnosis they could see it and smell it and taste it and know it with all the cells of their body. They Mm -hmm. actually are directly communicating, as you know, with the cells is when we have those experiences of pain and we're focused on that pain, we are sending a direct message to our body and we're sending out all those stress chemicals into our body. And when Mm -hmm. we switch that story into being conscious and aware, and we could focus on happy, joyous, and free, then we're sending a completely different chemical message into our body.
1: Yeah. Interesting. It's and cause, uh,
0: and door- mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I noticed that, uh, you know, reading your, your kind of case studies, if you will, the examples in the book that you did, like parts therapy and you did some regressions where, you know, it's yeah. the old story where some, uh, Somebody grows up and they're afraid of the water. Well, why are you afraid of the water? And they don't know. And then you regress them back. And like when they were four years old, they fell in the pool and mommy was uh, drinking a martini, talking to the lifeguard. And she didn't notice until it was almost too late. And you've had that story. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. then you, could, you take them back to that point and then you kind of yep. re- rewire them, conscious their consciousness And uh, they get over it and it it works. It works because you're Mm -hmm. really just reframing everything for them. An interesting part of this, one of the things I picked up, um, you know, when I, uh, when I, I I had the, like one of the, if not the the best surgeon in New York, and I just fell into it uh, when I had two robotic surgeries on my kidneys and uh, everything turned out perfectly. And that was, um, I don't even have MRIs anymore. They said, you're, you're good. And, um, Mm -hmm. I said, well, what happened? Why did, I, why, did I, why did I get this? And they said, oh, it's sporadic. This is my surgeon said it's sporadic. And I'm like, wow, great surgeon, lousy answer. So I started mm-hmm. to uh, do some work on my own. And it's interesting because you mentioned Amit Goswami in your as a, in the back of your book uh, as to one of the books to read uh, about yes, the um, Dr. universe. Dr. books
0: are amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And he's been on the show many times. He's going to come back in November. But um, he told me, he says, listen, you have to look at your environment. And um, so I went to New York Innovative Medicine and I went through a whole like four month protocol. And they did lots of things that I've never heard of with biochargers and things like that. And one of the most interesting things they did, they they went in and they used magnets on me and they Mm -hmm. they had me through intention pull out stored. They found stored uh, emotions and toxins and poisons really that were in my body, in the organs from particular incidents that happened in, in life. And yeah. they uh, helped um, remove that. And I know that that worked because I have noticed uh, doing work on myself over the years that, and now I'm getting right. so sensitive now that um, <laughs> when I get angry, my liver hurts. And yeah, I'm like, there okay. You go. And I started yeah. actually before reading your book, I started um, well, I did a couple of things that were so in line with what you're teaching. One is uh, I talked to my the two growths I had and I thanked them. and I said, I love you. And, I, and then I asked them to leave, of course. Mm-hmm. But I, I had to acknowledge them. And now I do a process where I actually uh, ask, uh, acknowledge and uh, love and uh, and ask the uh, emotions Then the toxins, toxins that are stored in my organs, that are hiding in there, to to release them because they're not aligned with my truth, if you will, truth of being a perfect, you know, human being. And uh, and I really believe, and I think this that that it works. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if many people are aware of it. So I hope in your with your book and your uh, speaking engagements and your appearances that you really keep getting that message across that. You know, it's important to acknowledge things. It's important to know that things, I mean, would you agree, Peter, that we can store negative emotions in our organs? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think more than just in, in the entire body, in your bones, I think there's, mm-hmm. there's uh, undigested emotions that can get stuck like waste matter. And if we don't let them go, then they layer upon each other. And then once they layer, you know, that first instance might be small, but as they sort of are subconsciously layered onto each other, they become more powerful and they become more dominant sort of pattern of the body brain.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about some of the uh, exercises that you, uh, you use in the book. One is uh, the future progression exercise where you, um, uh, you envision yourself looking in a mirror uh your current self, if you're in pain and then you see yourself kind of without pain in the future. Talk to us a little bit about that one. And, um, Also the release. I release everyone and everything that is out of alignment with my highest potential. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they're really about stepping you. Both of them are really about stepping you out of what I call the sobriety loop, whether, and I don't mean just an addiction, just health in general, we get, everything we do is in a loop. And there's a loop, there's a loop for everything. And there's that loop that people often go into with, With, uh, say, cancer, they are survivor. In order to be a survivor, you have to have something to survive from. And there's a loop that we create there. Now, and those loops are supported by all of our senses. Only way we know the world is temperature, texture, color, sound, smell, taste. So that loop is supported by that story. You always have to go to that original pain in order to maintain the story. And the Mm -hmm. body preserves that story Through its understanding of that experience, whether you're conscious of it or not, even in this moment right now, your brain is assigning a temperature, a color, a texture, a sound, a smell, a taste to Mm -hmm. this moment. And so that story in that loop is what we're doing, what we're jumping people out of into a new loop, a loop of what I call possibility. And that's where the future progression comes in. Because I ask people to actually see themselves in, that, in a mirror, and I say it's a magic mirror, but this mirror is based on who you are from your past in this moment in time. You are the result of that. And so if you're going to change that reflection in the mirror, then you need to change what is being put into the mirror, the data that's being put into the mirror. So let's actually step out of that old loop and let's step into this newly and can you visualize imagine think about a color a temperature a taste a texture to mm-hmm. your happiness is there is there a taste of your joy is there a color to that bliss and now can you actually connect that with your physiology can you feel that color can you feel that temperature because when we have a, a feeling and a thought and those two things come together it creates in my opinion reality so that's the quantum collapse, and mm-hmm. most of us are doing this passively and subconsciously. And through our pain, we have a thought that I'm unworthy, and we have a feeling that's a, an emptiness or a stabbing in the heart. Those two things come together, and boom! Now you actually have the reality that you're living in. So what if you get yeah, a true. conscious creativity, and you mm-hmm. start, you know, looking in that mirror and you say, well, I want to have the, I'm gonna have the thought of. Maybe it's too much to think I'm, I'm fantastic, but what about the contrary? Because some people, it's hard for them to jump from, I mean, I'm a piece of crap, to I'm, a, I'm absolutely amazing, right? So what if it's just, I'm okay? Mm-hmm. You know, I do this a lot with my people struggling with addiction. I'm okay. I'm not that bad. I'm okay. And then what if they actually put a, a, a feeling to being okay, and maybe it's like a calmness in their belly. And so that starts to shift the reality that they're living in. And we would build upon that to actually see, know, be a different person based on what they are creating in the moment, right like now. Because you're mm-hmm. looking into the mirror to see who you are. Maybe a day from now, maybe six months from now, based on who you are today, creates who you will be. That reflection of you tomorrow.
1: Yep, it's like the and brain is. That's a...
0: future progression.
1: Yeah. Yep, it's like the brain is like a processor. So we have to be careful on how we manage it um now when Absolutely. you uh, de- when you identify pain peter uh when you te- teach your clients um you there's four things they should say to themselves as they're kind of dealing with the pain and want to release it like, thank you i love you i am sorry and forgive me and i just had a question about mm-hmm. this is for my own edification because i agree with the process mm-hmm. completely what do you mean yeah. by when you're talking to the pain and saying, I'm sorry, forgive me? Why, why are you saying, why? Sure. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not putting you on the defensive. I'm just curious as to what's behind the thought of saying, I'm sorry and forgive me. I can see I love you mm-hmm. now. Please leave. And thank you for teaching me. But what, why is the, yeah. so, you know, I'm sorry and forgive me?
0: Well, the whole process first came to me in my own healing that I had to just become, I had to surrender to the pain. I had to be with the pain in order mm-hmm. for it to now go away. I had to recognize it. I couldn't ignore it anymore. And so, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, forgive me, was something I automatically started to do. And then I discovered that it's actually a process in Hawaiian shamanism that's called ono. And so if people want to look that up, it's really amazing. We say thank you because it's this part of us, maybe it's a part, maybe it's an organ, that's been holding on to it until we're ready to deal with it. Right. And I look at all pain as having a purpose, And so it's holding on to that pain because that pain is something to share with us. It has something to teach us. Pain is either going to overwhelm us and destroy us, or it's going to call us into our greatness. It's going to step us up and we're going to become even bigger and more amazing than we used to be. So thank you. I love you because as you know, I said that when I feel Mm -hmm. loved, I can do anything. So let's love this part. Thank you. I love you. And I'm sorry because it sucks. Because there's this part, it's compassion. And having compassion for this part that's been suffering, this part of me that has been hurting and that I've not been able to deal with. And so that leads to forgive me. Forgive me if I've contributed to your pain in any way. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So I always do it this way with people. Um, like in hypnosis, or I'll put them into a trance or, or just a relaxed state of being. And I'll, I'll say, hey, all right, that part of you that's in pain Let's bring it out of you. Let's step it out of you and let it take on a shape and a form, let's say, and give it a name. Maybe it's a cloud, a thunderstorm, and its name's Bob. So they Bob the Thunderstorm. So that's the image of your pain. Now we're going to talk to Bob. And when you say, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, forgive me to Bob, does Bob get more angry or less angry? Does Bob's Bob's pain go up or does Bob's pain go down? Now you're developing a relationship with Bob and you're communicating with Bob. So then let's ask Bob what Bob needs in order to heal. And so that's the, that's part of that process. It's, it's a loving, kind, uh, internally directed process. And, you know, I'm a holistic guy, but I don't, I really work on not putting my beliefs on somebody else. So if they connect with that part of them that's hurting, whether it's a addiction or an anxiety or a tumor and they said, that Bob, the, their thunderstorm, and they said, Bob, what do I need to do? And Bob says, I want to go to that surgery.
1: Then I honor
0: that, and I get them to that surgery. If it says, if Bob, the tumor or whatever it is, says, that's not right for me, and I, we want to find something else, then I honor that. And we start showing Bob other ways, other possibilities for him. Mm-hmm. And then let the one or the two, three, four, five, it's organic, ongoing process of connecting with that part. But we say, thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, forgive me, because it really acknowledges that part of us. If you were the part of me that was in pain, and I went up to you and I said, thank you for holding on to this for me, I wasn't able to handle it, but I am now. Mm -hmm. You can feel an emotional shift, so thank you. And then if I said, hey, I love you, instead of beating you up, right, making you wrong and bad and shameful, and I say, I love you, I love you, man. Thank you. I love you. That creates an emotional shift as well. And if I say, I'm so sorry, you've been suffering. Just to say that to people, you know, to the parts of us is incredibly yeah. healing. You know? and, and forgive me. You know, I was ignorant or I contributed to the pain and I didn't realize it. Or I didn't know it or anything like that. Forgive me for not addressing it sooner, for shoving it mm-hmm. down, for acting like it wasn't important. It. Got
1: it you also um uh, recommend mantras uh and uh tell talk to us a little bit about why you uh why you think the you know how mantras can work for people and how somebody can yeah. help uh choose their mantra and uh yeah and kind of uh why you believe that uh, they're helpful so I, like
0: the, I love the woo-woo world and, mm-hmm. and, and I love the woo-woo world. You know, mantras are kind of part of that woo-woo world. But the science is really interesting. Whatever you think about, your brain will make what, is, what we call brain space for that. So if you think about football a lot, your brain is going to have space in it for football. And it's going to make room for that. Whatever you think about a lot or what you're good at, it's going to make space for it. If you're good at having an addiction, your brain is going to actually make space for that addiction, and it's going to support that addiction. And you're going to get better at it. It's like riding a bike. Your brain will start to make space for that skill. So mantras are most people have an, especially when they're in pain, they have an obsessive subconscious mantra already happening. A mantra is just a repeating is just a repeating of a sound, a phrase, a word, a belief, and their mantra might be something. Mine. This was. This was mine. You're a no good piece of crap, and nobody loves you. And that was that. Was, I wasn't even aware of that, but that's what was playing in the background of my pain, and that just kept sort of going on and on and on. And when people would try to help me, my, I would default to that belief: I'm not worth it, right? I'm a no good piece of crap. Nobody is going gonna you know. What's the point? That type of thing. And so I had a mantra, but it was a harmful mantra. It's those repetitive chorus of thoughts and words and opinions and judgments that are playing in head. When you can tap into that and create a new one, then you're going to create an entire new state of being in your mind and body. Because what we think about creates a chemical state in the body. And it has actual real life, real physical expression. So, if you can create a mantra,
1: and you know, my
0: mantra initially was a big because I was so consumed by my pain, and I knew that I was starting a suicidal thought. And if I found myself, caring and things that I couldn't engage in that, that suicidal thought now. And so, every time, 24 7, I was like, and I would interrupt. Then, by the right here, started to bother me. It started to bother I wanted to say, if you I want wanted to keep going back. So I just started chanting, think, 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 and so I wanted to involve, as you know, therapy. you want to involve as much of the brain in creating the change as possible. So I started to think, well, what is the color now, the truth of, of faith, of trust, of knowing my fear, of already being here. And I started with an image that made me laugh, and I, was, I judged it, I was But it was funny. And I started to feel like rainbows and <laughs> And so I would see like a, a blue sky and a field of lavender and a unicorn jumping around the field, and there was. The smell of the lavender, the warmth of the sun, the brightness of all the colors. And when I started engaging with that, and I started going, okay, I'm not going to judge this. It's silly, I mean, and I don't think it. And I'm just going to start chanting, rainbow's unicorn, rainbow's unicorn, rainbow's unicorn. It makes me laugh. So, Reverend, and there's actually a hope of that in my mind's eye, that my body responds, my body
1: my eyes
0: see that colors. And so the mantra as a champion, I I chant the whole and torus and, 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 and I really the table. The last month I started to shift my wellness and I started to become more more and more and more, more so Raymond it took me a okay. while to get there mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so um, unfortunately that a- your answer was uh, pretty eloquent but um, it was breaking up I don't know if it's a c- cell phone or whatever but we oh. the last three minutes we kind of didn't get so we'll uh, oh. we'll take care of that so I just want to end with um First of all, great job, Peter. And thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. Uh, why don't we end with, and maybe I should read it because I don't know if you're coming in loud and clear, but at the end of the book, there's a prayer to be pain-free. Would you mind if I read it? Yes.
0: Please, please. I got the book well, right in now, front of me. Now, now you sound the right. Why don't,
1: you, why don't I have it right in front of me? So it's thank you for teaching me to love more deeply. Thank you for showing me how to heal and live my fullest life. Thank you for reminding me that I am powerful. Thank you for revealing my strengths, for showing me my weaknesses, and for embracing me with energetic love, thanks, thank you for the healing. And so it is with love and gratitude. Amen. So it's a beautiful way to end a beautiful book. And I want to thank you, Peter, for the fine work you're doing, for coming on Guys Guys Radio. Um, now that we, I can hear you better, tell uh, our audience where they can find you and your book, etc., sure. your social media info.
0: Sure. I'm all over. I have a YouTube channel where I put different interviews that I've done or uh, people that I'm sitting down with and just I want to share what their work is. So they can find me as Convergence Healing on YouTube. They can find me Convergence Healing on Facebook. I'm on Instagram with Convergence Healing as well. That's my brand. And they could always email me through any of those sites, message me through any of those sites. So ConvergenceHealing.com is my website.
1: Okay. And thanks so much for being on the show. And let's do a shout out for uh, Marsha uh, Berger, who uh pointed me in your direction, Peter, because she's a big fan of yours. Yeah.
0: She just sent a text while we were we were we were all talking. topic, so <laughs> she was excited. Yeah, I love that. Marsha's
1: amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hi, Marsha. All right. So, listen, thanks a lot. Uh, Pleasure to meet you. Uh, All the best with your work. I hope we can do it again because I have like another 10 questions and uh, you did a great job. And I really appreciate your sharing your wisdom uh, with our uh, listeners on Guys Guys Radio. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. All right, everybody. Um, We're pretty much I was going to get into a little bit more on 9-11. But I, uh, I just I think I made the point earlier, which is, you know, everybody remembers where they were. And nobody should forget that because it was an important day an important time. And, uh, we've got to move forward, but, uh, never forget. So anyhow, that's guys, guys radio. We're actually back tomorrow. Um, Wednesdays are usual. We are usually on Wednesday and Sunday this week, we did uh, Tuesday because I was traveling over the weekend. Um, we were going to do Sunday, but we decided to do Tuesday with Peter, but we've got a, uh, another author. He's a comedian actually. Um, Adam Caton Holland, who you might have seen, he's been on Conan and James Corden, uh, late, late night show. And uh, he's got a, a memoir, uh, kind of a tragic comic memoir about the, his career and the loss of his sister. So he's on tomorrow night. So we're going to run tomorrow night, guys, guys radio at 7 p.m. So we see you then. Thanks so much. And remember, like I always like to say, guys, guys finish first.